Welcome to the meeting of the San Francisco Public Library Commission for December 15th, 2022. The time is 4.30. I'm Margot Schaub and I serve as a Library Commission Affairs Analyst. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in the main library, Coret Auditorium, and available to view or listen to on WebEx. Members of the public can observe the meeting using the WebEx system by following the link in the library's event calendar or by calling local 1415 Six five five zero 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 one, and entering access code two four eight three eight nine four eight six six four. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call in for each item on the agenda. We will conduct public comment with attendees in the correct first, and then move to WebEx for public comment. Each comment is limited to three minutes unless otherwise noted. To make public comment when connected by phone, please raise your hand by dialing star three to be added to the remote queue for the agenda item you intend to comment on. Individuals joining by WebEx should click the raise hand button to be added to the queue. Mike Smith, Smith with Media Service Operations will moderate WebEx virtual public comment. Mr. Smith will call upon WebEx attendees by name or by caller number to prompt each attendee who wishes to provide public comment. If we experience any technical issues with WebEx, we will recess and try to address the issue. Please try logging back into WebEx if there are technical problems. Library commissioners in attendance are President Connie Wolf, Vice President Pete Wong, Commissioners Ono, Maul, Lomax Giraduzzi. Thank you very much and welcome to our last meeting of this calendar year, December 15, 2022, our meeting of the San Francisco Public Library Commission. To those of us here um, in Corette, we are delighted to see you and we are very pleased to welcome our virtual audience via the WebEx platform. We have a full uh, meeting ahead and we will start with the Ramatushaloni land acknowledgement. The area now known as San Francisco is the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni peoples of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the original peoples of this land, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place. We recognize that we benefit from living, working, and learning on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. If you have not already done so, all the materials for this meeting are available to download on the Library Commission's page website, sfpl.org. Today, we have a total of six agenda items, and we will begin with item number one, general public comment. Operations, how many people have joined us via WebEx and have any raised their hand to offer public comment? We have 10 attendees in the queue at this time, and two callers waiting uh, with their hands raised. First, with general public comment, hear from um, the guests here in Coret Auditorium, and then we will move to public comment um, from members of the public observing or listening via uh, WebEx. General public comment is now open here in Coret. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com, 
And we can also be reached at P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. I noticed that there wasn't a proper roll call and that we're missing two of seven, uh, two of seven library commissioners, Mr. Bolander and Ms. Dr. Urania Isabel Lopez, and I wish that were clear. Uh, we, I'd like to comment about previous minutes, not this month's uh, approval of the minutes. Your, dis, your minutes are a disgrace. They completely trash and misrepresent or omit key matters that people have spoken about uh, in public comment. And if anything, uh, they not only uh, omit, but they also misrepresent and uh, seem to enjoy making them incomprehensible or uh, sounding like they were meaningless. That's important because it's an example of how well the library is listening to the public in these meetings where you're supposed to, by law, take public comment and summarize it in your minutes. And that's, I'm afraid, a sad commentary on whether the library is listening and the library commissioners are listening. With respect to those minutes, for over a year I've mentioned the toxic Facebook and now more and more the toxic Twitter that the library continually touts in much of its publicity and serves as a recruitment for people to be hurt by those, uh, by those platforms. Uh, Francis Haugen testified to the Senate October uh, over a year ago that Facebook puts profit over safety and President Biden himself said Twitter should be looked into. You also rarely seem to be looking in basics of library performance. Why is the library, which is presumably civic engagement minded, it's got the Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Chronicle in most branches. Where is the San Francisco Examiner? Where is the Washington Post? Where is the Financial Times and USA Today? All of which I can get at my local uh, neighborhood location. And why are they not always prominently displayed and available to the public instead of sometimes being behind closed shelves? The daily operations, the routine operations of the library and its policies need to be looked into. I would also add lending monthly and weekly magazines out immediately is a huge mistake and makes them inaccessible to folks much more so than if you had the old policy of keeping them available in the house. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public comment here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing there's no further comment here in Corret, we will now turn to um, general public comment via WebEx. Members of the public who would like to make general public comment on WebEx, click the raise hand button in the lower right hand portion of the screen. And if you have called into WebEx dial-in number, please press star three to line up to speak. Operations, how many callers are in the queue at this point? Madam President, there are currently two callers in the queue. Caller Francesca, your three minutes begin now. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Francesca Mejia, and I'm a senior at UC Berkeley, calling to urge you to reschedule the wall and response exhibition without censoring the Arab Liberation Mural. I'm currently 
I'm currently working on an honors thesis at Cal for Chicano Studies about Chicanx solidarity with Palestinians in their fight for liberation. I am also an educator at a Jewish nonprofit in the Bay. I myself identify as an anti-Zionist Jewish Chicana, which is why this topic is so important to me. And I felt the need to give a public comment and express why it is so upsetting to me that this artwork is being censored. By censoring this work, you are upholding white settler colonial ideologies that are rooted in racism and white supremacy. Let me say that again. You are upholding white supremacy by censoring this artwork. Zionism is racism, and let me tell you why. Zionism is a political ideology that is rooted in racism and white supremacy as it actively fought to exclude the Arab people from the creation of the modern state of Israel. To conflate Judaism with Zionism is offensive, ignorant, and xenophobic. Ben-Gurion, the main founder of the state of Israel, consciously planned the expulsion of Palestinians a decade before Israel's war of independence. He said in a letter to his son, quote, the one and only the whole country will be Jewish. I have no use for a greater Palestine that is Arab, end quote. This is evidence of how Zionism as a political ideology is rooted in racism and white supremacy as it actively sought to expel and exclude Palestinians in the creation of a Jewish ethnostate. Zionism is apartheid and is resulting in the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. We as Jews remember the Holocaust and say never again. We mean never again, period. This is not just for our own, but for everyone. A genocide is happening, is still happening against Palestinians, and we must amplify this and make this known. So to censor a mural that is actively subverting settler colonialism by making a comment on how Zionism is racism is not only being complicit in, but actively upholding white supremacy. There is absolutely no rationale for white supremacy and genocide. Kate Patterson, you said that, quote, Presenting expressions such as Zionism as racism are widely viewed as anti-Semitic, are counter to that mission, and would have set a precedent that would just that would justify the exhibition of other viewpoints harming minority communities, end quote. I cannot express to you how much the statement disgusts and angers me. As a Jew that is also an indigenous Chicana, it infuriates me when people say that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. I am not the only anti-Zionist Jew out there. It is my duty as an indigenous Chicana to be in solidarity with other indigenous peoples in their fight for liberation. We must build solidarity across borders in, in order for people to achieve collective liberation. One cannot be an anti-racist and also be a Zionist. The SF Public Library is not just choosing to remain neutral on this position. Right now, all of you have chosen to side with racism because that is exactly what Zionism is. I am so tired of Judaism being equated with Zionism. I am proudly an anti-Zionist Jew who will never stop calling for the liberation of Palestinian people. I urge you to reconsider rescheduling this exhibition without censorship so that you are all not engaging in an act of white supremacy by censoring this artwork. Thank you. Um, operations, could you please put the next caller through? Putting the next caller through. Caller number six, your three minutes begin now. Caller number six. Caller number six has not responded. Caller number 10. Three minutes, begin now. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Christopher Statton, and I'll be reading a statement from artist and organizer Art Hazelwood. I am an artist who participated in the wall and response portfolio that was set to be shown at the main library in a show that was censored by the SFTL management. I have worked with the library on exhibitions for more than 12 years. I have nothing but praise for the exhibition team that has, that has been at the library and particularly for Joan Jasper, who has curated, who has, as a curator has been incredibly re a credible resource and in supporting for a wide range of communities. 
Joan has worked with a vast array of organizations and helped to shepherd incredible shows with outstanding community outreach. And now, as Joan retires, the library management decides to center artwork. It is not only the censorship of wall response for its pro-Palestinian statement is an insult to the curatorial staff of the library. It is also an insult to the community that has worked with the library over many years, developing a relationship of trust and goodwill. The timing of this censorship, this buckling to whisperings of whoever's management ear could not come at a worse time. Just two blocks away from the main library, a narcissistic madman is wiping the ultra white wing into a frenzy. The mob will come for the library. That mob of white wing hate mongrels will be pounding at the door of the library in, in, in the county. Do you think that the decision to overrule the curators of the library and to bow to whispering complaints will protect the library from that mob? It cannot come at a worse time for the library to start engaging in censorship. Now who will defend you as you alienate the community? Do you think that whispering voices that told you told the management to censor the show will defend you? They won't care. Management has undermined the support of the community and the independence of the curatorial team. And by doing so, it has left itself open to a truly ominous attack by the right-wing mobs. It is far past time to reserve, reserve course, reinstate the wall response exhibition, and rebuild the support of the community and the independence of the curatorial staff of the library. To do anything less would be courting near certain disaster at the hands of the Twitter mob unleashed by hate. Sincerely, Art Hazelwood. Thank you very much. Um, operations, are there any further public comments via WebEx? Madam President, I have two other callers in the queue at this time. Put them through, thank you. Caller Megan, your three minutes begin now. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Megan Wilson. I am the co-director of Clarion Alley Mural Project and co-curator of the Wallen Response Exhibition. As you know, the exhibition was canceled after we would not agree to the library censorship of the Arab Liberation Mural, based on the belief that the phrase Zionism is racism depicted on a small protest sign within the mural would be considered anti-Semitic. By making that determination, the library has negatively targeted our communities and the mural's collaborators, the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, Art Forces, and Clarion Alley Mural Project, by falsely suggesting that we are anti-Semitic. This could not be further from the truth. The Arab Liberation Mural was created by a team of Semitic community-based organizations, artists, and allies to honor Arab, Muslim, and migrant histories and struggles against racism and xenophobia, as well as the experiences of resilience and resistance in the Bay Area. Also, to provide context here, Zionism is the official ideology of Israeli apartheid. Human rights organizations, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Yashdin, and B'Tselem, as well as the United Nations and Harvard Law School have all determined that Israel is an apartheid state. Just this year, Israeli forces have killed over 200 Palestinians, including 47 children, and have demolished hundreds of Palestinian homes, displacing thousands. As a result of the censorship of Wall and Response, the library has received over 2,000 letters from community members, as well as from the ACLU and the National Coalition Against Censorship, to demand that the exhibition be reinstated in its entirety, and to voice their strong concerns that the library has singled out and censored the experiences of Palestinians and other Arabs living under apartheid. 
Furthermore, the American Library Bill of Rights states, quote, the library should not censor or remove an exhibit because some members of the community may disagree with its content. The San Francisco Public Library rightfully adhered to these guidelines earlier this year for the exhibition, The Art of Protest. One of the show's posters featured a large swastika in its design. Another depicted a monster grabbing a child and eating it, accompanied by the text, America is devouring its children. We do not agree with the library's belief that by showing images of the Arab Liberation Mural, it would create a harmful environment. That is a rationale used to ban books and school curriculums. The real harm to community comes from ignoring or denying the experiences of others. On behalf of Clarion Alley Mural Project, we ask you to please reschedule the Wall and Response Exhibition and to work with us to provide thoughtful public programming, giving all the, giving all the artists a platform to discuss the context for their work. Thank you for the opportunity to speak here today. Thank you very, thank you very much. Um, operations, is there an additional comment? Uh, I have two additional callers on the line at this time. Caller number eight, your three minutes begin now. Hello, San Francisco Public Library. I'm Yusuf Alawi, a, po a poet and writer involved in Wall and Response, organized by the Clarion Alley Mural Project with Megan Wilson and Maureen Wynn. I am Moroccan. I'm Colombian. I am Jewish. I am Muslim. I urge you to reschedule the Wall and Response exhibition without censoring the Arab Liberation Mural. The Clarion Alley murals are meant to initiate discussion and express import, uh, important social issues. And they are not dead art, they are living art. Living art interacts with living people in living discussion without arguments and without hatred. The mural that was banned from display at the library has a sign painted on it, and the sign is a tiny slogan that says, Zionism is racism. This is a key phrase that will hopefully encourage discussion and research on the topic of Zionism. The sign does not say Semites are bad or Jews are bad or Jews leave Palestine or Israel. The sign doesn't say Jews don't belong in Israel or Judaism is racism. Zionism is not Judaism. Zionism is a concept. Judaism is a religion. The sign says one thing, and that slogan puts Zionism on its head for better understanding. My grandparents on my mother's side were affected by the Tsar of Russia and the Fiddler on the Roof uh, time in the Pale of Settlement and Forced Exodus. They lived in Poland and moved to Bogota, Colombia in 1929. Hitler annihilated everything they left behind. So our family has nothing and not many relatives. And also, at that point of history, the Fiddler of, on the Roof time, was, it was also the birth of Zionism. In the 18th century, Peter the Great stated, I prefer to see in our midst nations professing Mohammedanism and paganism rather than Jews. They are rogues and cheats. It is my endeavor to eradicate evil, not to multiply it. During the pogroms, uh, Vladimir Jabotinsky, a.k.a. Zev Jabotinsky, organized self-defense units in Jewish communities across, across Russia and fought for the civil rights of Jewish people. And his slogan was, better to have a gun and not need it, than need it and not have it. And another slogan was, Jewish youth learn to shoot. We can call Zionism a remodeled form of the pale of settlement. And that is the historical precedent for what Israel is doing today. The bully was bullied. In times of unrest, 
One must do one's best, but if the best is not enough, one must do one's worst, because one set to test, the worst to the rest is said to be the best. That's a little poem I wrote about extremism. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. You may put through the next commenter. Thank you. Caller number six, your three minutes begin now. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Basil Ayas, and I'm a resident of San Francisco. And I think there's been a real big wrong that you can fix uh, with this issue of the Wall Plus Response Exhibition. I'm speaking to urge you to reschedule it without censorship. The library rightly rejects speech that, in the words of Kate Patterson, negatively targets any specific race, ethnic, or religious community. However, the decision to effectively silence the Wall Plus Response Exhibit appears to be based on a mistaken belief that criticizing Zionism somehow meets the criteria Kate lists. Zionism is not a race. It does not belong to an ethnic or a religious community. It is a political ideology, one that can be held irrespective of religious or ethnic affiliation. Israel, a sovereign country, is the expression of Zionism and has earned the designation of practicing apartheid by Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the Presbyterian Church, a Jewish Choice for Peace, and the Israeli Human Rights Organization, B'Tselem, to name just a few. Blocking the equation of Zionism and racism and rejecting a large consignment can only serve those who want to advance bigotry against and domination over those who are considered lesser. This is something that the wall plus response exhibition must be allowed to address. I urge you to reinstate that exhibition without censorship. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, operations, are there any further commenters on um, the WebEx? President, there is one additional caller in the queue. Could you please put the additional caller through? Thank you. Caller number 12, your three minutes begin now. My name is Ma Shane Nguyen, and I'm co-curator of Wall and Response with Megan Wilson. I urge you to reschedule the Wall and Response exhibition without censoring the Arab Liberation Mural. Art has the potential to challenge dominant narratives and create openings for generative conversations. Censoring a mural that amplifies calls for racial and economic justice contributes to the daily harm BIPOC communities face because of structural racism. This is not only harmful, but is also potentially dangerous, especially at this point in history when there are large factions of the United States banning books that speak to the importance and value of critical thinking and the lived experiences of communities which have and continue to experience racism and oppression. I'd now like to read a statement by po poet Jenny Lim, one of the featured poets in Wall and Response. As a native San Franciscan, former SF Arts Commissioner, educator, playwright, poet, and Chinese American historian deeply committed to the achievement of racial equity in our city, I am profoundly disturbed by F SFPL's abrupt censorship of the Wall and Response mural. SFPL belongs to all SF residents and must represent all its constituents equally. The silencing of artists, particularly at a time when hate crimes against Asians and Muslims rank among the highest in the country, sets a dangerous precedent for a public institution whose mission is to serve the people without political, religious, racial, or gender bias and discrimination. The demand to alter the mural or to ban it completely is an attempt to silence the Palestinian voice. This is not acceptable. It is not for us who are spoon-fed 
mainstream news to perceive Asians as perpetual aliens or Arabs as perpetrators or terrorists to dictate what they ought and not not say. The mural expresses the truth as the Palestinian feels and experiences it under daily occupation. Most Jewish Americans do not identify with the U.S. Zionist movement, nor do they condone the crimes of settler violence or such Zionist policies as the arrest and detention of Palestinian children or the forced displacement of families from their homes under occupation. To censor their truth is to strip and deny Palestinian Americans of their First Amendment right to free speech. Do we want to go down that same slippery slope of institutional censorship that ultimately brought us the reign of terror under McCarthyism? Let's pray not. Public statement to SFPL commissioned by Jenny Lim, December 15, 2022. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Thank you very much. Operations, are there any further comments and uh, for public comment? Madam President, at this time I have one more commenter in the queue. You may put the caller through. Thank you. Caller number 14, your three minutes begin now. Hi, my name is Emily Chat. I'm a longtime library card holder and avid user of the library. And um, I just was looking back at the letter that I sent in response to Kate Patterson when she answered my um, letter of concern. And I, I'm distressed that we haven't heard anything from the library about reconsidering the statements that it's given us about um, not favoring one group's viewpoint and being concerned about finding itself on the side of racism. Um, and so I'll just add an affirmation to what the previous callers have said, that Zionism is an ideology. It's a political ideology. And so critiquing it and um, acknowledging that the ideology is an expression of racism in the same way that, as people have pointed out, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the United Nations, President Carter, it's just endless figures whom we rely on speak about um, what is right and just have identified Zionism as apartheid. And um, I, I just, it, I'm so concerned that the library isn't answering our concerns and has kind of boxed itself in to an impossible position. And so I urge you um, to make some room for the voices of Palestinian liberation um, and for our children who should feel respected and appreciated by the library that they rely on as a portal to the world of ideas. 
and to our ability to appreciate art that provokes and opens us um, to feelings and to an understanding of um, the Thank you for your comments. Um, operations, are there any further commenters in the queue? Madam President, at this time, there are no further commenters in the queue. Thank you. Hearing that there are no further commenters in the queue, we uh, public comment is now concluded. Thank you very much for all those who participated in public comment. We will now turn to item number two. Um, you will see that we've added the agenda item of the of the minutes review and approval um, up to this to the top of the meeting. Um, this is a discussion and possible action to approve the November commission meeting minutes. We will open public comment before our commission discussion and action on this item. Public comment is now open on this topic here in Coret Auditorium, and we will continue with public comment on this topic. Um, online afterwards. Public comments now open and correct. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association. Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California. 9417-0544. I was going to make no public comment about these disgraceful minutes, which do not even closely summarize as required by law, the public comment certainly of myself. And uh, I thought that it would perhaps be best not to say anything. And perhaps, go to the trouble of providing 150-word summaries, which are supposed to be optional for the public, and an effort that isn't necessary if you do the job that you are supposed to, which is to summarize public comment. I did think that I would, just as an example, mention two specifics. And I see another library commissioner has arrived. Thank you. We're talking about the minutes for Dr. Uh, Lopez. On agenda item number five, adjournment, it says that Peter Warfield said the library should not adjourn until the library should not until adjourn until they say, who is that? They say what future agenda items they would like to see at a future library commission meeting. What I said was what I've said repeatedly. The library commission should not adjourn until it insists not telling what it wants on future agenda items today. It should insist on having an agenda item and that's routinely like you used to have at the end of the meeting or near there where you say 
what you want on future agenda items. It's the agenda item because by law, you're not supposed to discuss what's not on the agenda. You're supposed to discuss what's on the agenda. And I wanted you to put it on the agenda as a routine matter, not as a one-time deal. And on the minutes, approval of the minutes, item four, I didn't comment about my previous comments on the October commission meeting. I commented about what you got wrong and what you should actually say about what I actually said, what you left out about the toxicity of Facebook, the inappropriateness of the library continually touting it, and so on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there any further public comment here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing there's no further comment here in Corret Auditorium, we will now move to um, our callers on WebEx. Um, um, operations, are there any commenters on in the queue and WebEx? Madam President, at this time, there are no additional callers in the queue. I will pause briefly to allow other commenters to join. Madam President, at this time, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you very much, operations. Hearing there are no further requests for comment, public comment is now closed. And we move to the commission discussion and action on item number two. Would someone like to make a motion to approve the minutes of the November commission meeting? I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes of uh, November 17th, 2022. Do we have a second? Seconded. We have a motion from Commissioner Lomax Garaducci and a second from Vice President Huang to approve the minutes. I'll take the roll, but first I'd like to say that Commissioner Lopez has arrived and is in attendance. Um, commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf? Aye. Commissioner Ono? Aye. Commissioner Mall? Aye. Commissioner Lopez? Aye. The motion passes unanimously. We now turn to item number three which is discussion on the fiscal year 24-25 budget, um, where we'll have an update. And I turn the meeting over to City Librarian Michael Lambert. Thank you, President Wolf. Good evening, commissioners. Our CFO, Mike Fernandez, Mike Fernandez will be delivering this presentation. Uh, but just to set the table for Mike a little bit, while we were meeting uh, in the past 35 minutes, I saw that the mayor's press office did issue a press release uh, stating that she issued the uh, budget instructions for departments, which is accurate. Uh, right before this meeting, I attended a department heads meeting in which uh, we heard the budget instructions. However, the CFOs from all the various departments, they still need time to receive these budget instructions as well tomorrow and incorporate that guidance into our budget process here. So um, we will certainly perform our due diligence uh, before the January 19th budget presentation. But in the meantime, our CFO Mike Fernandez is here and he's gonna deliver this presentation. Thank you very much, Michael. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you for having me again this afternoon. Uh, today I'll be providing you an update, as Michael alluded to, um, the upcoming budget, uh, and build upon that overview I gave you last month. So the budget, uh, just as a quick overview, the budget process mirrors again, um, very similar to last year. 
the mayor, as Michael alluded to, the mayor instructions, I'll be getting them tomorrow, um, tomorrow morning. Excited for them. Um, in this, in these instructions, the mayor will, the mayor and the controller, what they will put in the instructions is a few things. One of them is that they will determine the amount of the library preservation fund uh, we have available uh, in, in the cycle, so for the next two years. Um, there are quite a, there's the, that will determine how much we have for fund balance, and of course the, um, if there's an estimated budget shortfall, that will come out uh, more specifically tomorrow and how it impacts the library. We have a few things that in this stage we're still a bit unknown. Um, the interdepartmental work order agreements, um, some of them we're still negotiating right now. We're negotiating them even this morning. Um, and, that, and that will continue as well as, um, just so you, so you all are aware, there's some centralized work orders uh, that, go, that all departments have essentially for utilities and things like that. That we won't know through this process. That gets determined quite a bit later on. <laughs> Um, so that we won't know for a while, um, but that won't stop us from moving forward with, with the budget process. Um, as far as capital goes, we're still in the capital planning process. Included in today's presentation, there will be some updates on what the capital will look like, um, but we're still working through that process. It's not, not final yet. So where we are in the calendar, this looks very familiar. <laughs> There's no milestones between December in January, um, but this is the second of four budget uh, four budget discussions here before you. Time flies. Um, the approval is still really for February second um, is the likely time at that um, at that meeting. So we'll we'll go with that. Um, we'll be giving so on January um, just to preview that a little bit. I'll be giving you some updated budget info um, as we've worked through the budget proposal as we've had time to digest the mayor's instructions and a few other things that we have we have going and looking forward to again to your approval in February. So we'll start off again it's just a little reminder of what we approved um, last cycle that really starts as the base for this for this cycle. Um, we approved fiscal year 24 already. Um, here it's, you can see it broken up on the left side by type and the right side is by division. As a reminder, that everything on the right side is fully loaded, so that's materials, labor, everything put together. Um, of course, on the so if you look on the left side, labor is our biggest investment. People at the heart of the library. It's really you know that's that's the biggest thing we fund. We have these beautiful buildings, it's amazing collections, but at the same time, it's it's the people behind them that really we invest in, as it, as it should be. Um, we did set aside a small reserve. I'll point out on the left table there at the bottom. Um, that will help us as we start to look through these budget proposals and also help buffer against any kind of revenue shortfall that we might be experiencing, um, which I will see tomorrow. Um, and yeah, so that's what I want to uh, point to on the left-hand side. On the right side, the, I uh, want to point out that our biggest, our biggest investment by Division is, again, our branches and mains and community uh, programs and partnerships. Uh, so, you know, all of our main programming, all of our really delivery, it makes up over a third of our budget every year. Um, the collections comes in as, as the next largest um, investment that we make. And then capital, which is a little bit dependent. So it is, it is, a, it is dependent on where we are in the cycle. So as our 
capital projects, if they're multi-year projects, as they get into the construction or near, or, you know, near construction phase, you, you'll see those kind of rise up and then they'll drop away as, as we're in either ending those phases or um, we're heavy into construction or we're more in the early phases of projects. So for our budget priorities, um, these really are um, the lens at which we really, we really review and assess all of our needs when we're really building our budget. Um, we are, of course, looking forward to kicking off that process next month um, to, to work through the next round of strategic, uh, strategic planning. Um, we also, in addition to our library priorities, we do look to align our priorities with the mayor's priorities, you know, a chief for the library where we fit in is economic rec economic recovery and equity. Um, as we've alluded to the last couple of meetings, um, this this budget is really like you know we intend we anticipate this will be largely a status quo bu budget. Um, I've organized them in a way uh, it's maybe a little bit different than in years past. So what you what I'm about to show you, I've organized as non-position uh, proposals first, and then the investments in labor second. So all of these are, of course, revenue permitting, but these are our, these are our ideas at this point um, that we're ready to show before you, ready to bring before you for discussion and your input. So for the, that's a little dark. So for the server equipment refresh, which is the, the first one there, uh, this investment would allow for the servers to maintain a four-year um, production cycle, meaning we are able to refresh them every four years. Um, the purpose for why we need to you know, update, update our servers so frequent is really for cybersecurity one, as you know, they need to get updated so they're the latest and greatest and incorporating all, all the defenses against new threats, as well as resiliency to make sure we have redundancy and backups should uh, should the need arise. The next one is the CIP for state of good repair. This one is really um, a little bit change in the model, especially with inflation so high. We went ahead and looked at um, what inflation was likely to be and said, you know, we should really start bumping up our invest, uh, uh, bumping up that number to make sure we're keeping things in a state of good repair. You know, these things are certainly not immune to inflation. So we're doing some, we're looking for a small increase there. Uh, the main library safety enhancement projects, these are really a, a group of projects that are a culmination of a lot of work with Public Works architecture over the last two years. Um, and the reason why we've been working with them is whatever, but the safety projects that we're looking at, we really want to make sure that we maintain the architectural integrity of the building. So it took a lot, took a bit of planning to get here, uh, but they're finally ready to get, get those going. On the Ocean View project, we looked at what the likely timeline was for the, for the bid, uh, for the future bid, and what the construction timeline might end up looking like. It's very early stage, so it's really hard to predict um, what, it, what it will be like. But we looked at the original Longer-term funding plan called for a lot, lot more money in fiscal year 25, and we've scaled that back a little bit. But in doing so, we're asking for a little bit more in 24, so that we have the funds available. Should we need to really, you know, should should when the need arises, as it's protected to, so we have that investment in place. For the next one down is the Digi Center book scanner. So that's for the main library. Um, that the, the the reason why we're looking to make that 
you know, relatively modest investment is that we had a partnership with the Internet Archive and we're able to use their scanner. Um, but that partnership's over. So <laughs> it's time for the library to go ahead and make, uh, make, look to make an investment to allow this book digitization to go forward. It's really important to give, it's really important to make this investment so that we allow free public access to unique, rare, fragile, and other high demand books. On the exhibition side, now that you know we're really reopening, uh, so in the next next one down, the exhibition supplies. Now that we're in the in the process of reopening, we're seeing where our exhibition teams are doing quite a bit, quite an increase in their exhibitions. Actually, 140% increase year over year on the exhibitions, and the materials needed really, you know, do take a beating and get kind of consumed in the process. So being able to maintain that level, you know, we need to right-size the budget, so we're able to do that. And lastly, the, we were looking to add a laptop kiosk to the main. We actually have 19 such kiosks in the system right now. Um, and what we're looking for is a kiosk that will hold about 12 laptops here at the main. As as far as the how these kind of tend to fit into the mayoral priorities, what we what we kind of view how we view these um, through that lens is on the economic. You can see the library lens on the left hand side for the mayoral for the mayoral priorities. The investments that we are looking to make in the both in the Ocean View project, the state of good repair, and the laptop kiosk, we feel will help aid in the economic recovery for the city. And really having that digital center and that laptop kiosk, we, we think will help in, in uh, working towards a more equitable system to allow better access and access for those who don't have access right now. And on the position side, again, should revenue permit? We'll see you tomorrow. Um, we had these broken up again by the library, uh, the, by our strategic priorities on the left-hand side. And so under organizational excellence for security, we're looking to add actually a headcount of three. So that's three halftime. That will allow, uh, the, allow for better seven-day week coverage at multiple branches. And, have, and we've moved to a sector model, and this, and this investment really helped bolster that model. In HR, you, you've heard for in a couple of meetings ago and a few times, you know, we've certainly made good progress on hiring and keeping up uh, with recruitment. However, more is needed. And really what we're looking to do with this investment is beyond a, allowing the processing to, to improve, really make sure we're incorporating all of our initiatives for diversity, diversity exclusion or diversity inclusion and equity. That we have that we have as part of our racial equity action plan. Last time I previewed uh, the health and safety associates um, that are currently contract workers with the Department of Homeless Homelessness and Supportive Housing. We're looking to complete that transition to be in-house library staff, so we have better accountability. We have hands on the whole process. Um, it's currently paid through a work order, so that work order will then be eliminated, and um, the headcount total, uh, I know it says four and a half up there, that's for full-time equivalents. So the actual headcount of the, of the houses, as we call them, uh, would be uh, nine. The bookmobile um, investment you'll see listed twice as it 
is actually two, two proposals that hit two different strategic priorities. The staffing increase will allow us to really expand to uh, expand the weekend hours. And this, the second one there, it was really going to be focused on youth. So it's a total of two new positions. This will help meet people where they are, particularly in underserved communities, allow better, better access and uh, in, increase hours and being able to meet families, especially on the weekends. It's, it's kind of tough on the during the weekdays for them to really meet everyone they need to. So the uh, moving to the weekends will help that will help in that area. And then lastly, for the media services team, uh, we'd like to be able to take all the lessons we've learned so far through the pandemic, having moved into the cyberspace so much or having having to have done that. Now, as we're reopening, we'd like to be able to keep that going while also being able to do the physical uh, in person programming. But that takes more people. <laughs> you can't, they can't do both at the same time. So that's, that last investment there would allow us to continue the, the online programming that we've been able to achieve and really keep those innovations that we've made while also being able to go back to our, our, our previous programming in our physical spaces. So again, linking to the, um, to the mayoral priorities, uh, for the economic recovery side, we really we see the HR investments and the media services helping, helping in that area. Um, Bookmobile it fits nicely within her priority around equity. And for public safety, obviously the security investment, I mean, obviously, but the security investment and the health and safety associates we feel will, will help in those areas. And again, really want to note, these are preliminary budget proposals at this point. Nothing has been approved, obviously, it's before you now um, to, to, to review and discuss but we're not asking you to approve till February. And the labor costs you see on the right-hand side, as noted below, they does that is the fully loaded cost. So that's their salary, their fringe benefits, everything it costs on a budget basis, I should say. So looking ahead, um, so in addition to what we've, what the budget instructions that we mentioned earlier, um, the controller's office will also give us revenue and expenditure baseline data, as you can see, and we will continue to work in-house. We'll be reevaluating our budget proposals in light of the instructions and the data we do get, um, as well as just refining them in general. Um, in January, we do have a thing, a few things to, to look forward to. Um, we are looking for, uh, we're considering, or we will be bringing before you um, as soon as we get that budget proposal a little bit more streamlined, um, some, some transportation for the Ralph Tressy exhibit, um, the vehicles, you notice that we're not here yet, so the, so the vehicle asks will be coming before you. The work orders that we do have control over, we do anticipate ready for you in January, um, as well as for the, there is a, an additional capital project, um, the air conditioning at the History Center. And in, yeah, in February, please approve <laughs> before you for approval. So thank you. That includes the presentation. Thank you so much for your time, consideration, and happy to answer any questions you have. Oh, thank you. 
Um, thank you so much, Mike, for your presentation. You might want to just stand, uh, be, be available for questions from the commissioners. But first, we will um, open the um, floor for public comment on this item. Um, so we will start here in Corrette Auditorium and then move to um, uh, any participants on WebEx. So public comment is now open on agenda item three here in Corrette Auditorium. Good afternoon, Peter Warfield, Executive Director of Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com, and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. Thank you for the presentation, but it seems a little short on details. Your capital section, 20.75 millions. The only other mention of capital was Ocean View, and that had a pretty mysterious uh, mention of a line, and it wasn't clear to me whether it's increasing by a million from 15 to 16 or whether it was spreading things around or what. Uh, these partial phrases are not very uh, explanatory. Overall, I'm very concerned with what I've talked about before, and one of these things is debookification, and the other is access as well as equity in access. So in uh, looking and using uh, the library, it seems more and more that there are books that are uh, available or not so available in print form, but have multiple, multiple versions of the electronic version, which in many cases are completely or largely available. If you put your money into unused electronic, and then boast about how popular it is um, and give people a lot more opportunity electronically. Well, yeah, if you have waiting lists for books uh, in print uh, and no waiting list for electronic, that's putting the thumb on the scale, to put it mildly. There are also books more and more that seem to be available only electronically, and that cuts out the people who don't have access to the appropriate technology all of the vulnerable populations, minorities, poorer people, and so, and so on. Your programs that are electronically available, and there's no indication and no publicity about how they're available by telephone. Uh, and there's no paper publicity for people who show up at the library unless they get into the computer. Uh, there's a whole range of ways in which access has been cut. You've cut every single evening hour where a place was open nine, till 9 o'clock. You've cut to 8 o'clock. That cuts the access, uh, and I would venture to say for the most vulnerable populations as well, and also access for people who want use of the place for community space. So there's a whole range of ways in which you are cutting not increasing, and I think you need to look at that in terms of your service to your actual populations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, operations, do we have anyone via WebEx who would like to make public comment? Madam President, at this time I have one caller in the queue. Could you please put the caller through? Thank you. Caller Glenn, your three minutes begin now. Thank you very much. Yes, my name is Glenn Rogers. I'm a landscape architect and I live 
right across the street from the proposed location of the uh, Ocean View Library at uh, Orizaba and Alamany Boulevard. And I was going to uh, make the uh, comment that the uh, that particular location is not ideal. Uh, that uh, uh, right across the street at 3435 Alamany Boulevard, there is a uh, Kingdom Hall uh, church that is no longer uh, being used. And this particular location is uh, safer than the uh, one right off of uh, a Brotherhood Way. And therefore, it, it is not a uh, attractive nuisance that would be bringing children to their death as uh, as these cars come shooting down the uh, Brotherhood Way from, Sag from Sagamore. Uh, this location is uh, safer because the uh, traffic uh, right next to the uh, sidewalk is much calmer and the uh and uh, the idea of uh, having a library where it is presently proposed which is on an earthquake fault which is in a green belt and where organic soils uh are present which would require uh Piers to be uh, built twenty feet down into the uh, into the the soil present there would be uh, much more costly than the location across the street. Thank you. That's the end of my presentation. Thank you very much for your public comment. Um, operations. Are there any further public comments coming via WebEx? Madam President, at this time there are no additional commenters in the queue. Thank you very much. Seeing that there are no further public comments, public comment is now closed on this item, and we now move to commission discussion on item number three. Um, Mike, thank you for uh, coming up to the podium. I'm sure we have some um, good questions. This is really an opportunity for us to explore more, learn more. Um, this is just discussion number two. We'll have further information in January and be able to then um, have a final budget to review and approve in February. So I now open this up and encourage my fellow commissioners to ask any questions. I see um, Commissioner um, Lomax Garaducci would like to speak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, this is really, really helpful. My questions are probably more around education, just to refresh myself. Tell me a little bit about um, the reserve that we have uh, at uh, two percent, the three point nine five million. Is there a percentage in which you target um, um, to keep that reserve at the two percent? Yeah, so so that that reserve is the planned contribution for twenty four to the reserves, as opposed to the reserve we're carrying. Okay. Yeah, so the reserve we're carrying. And I'll have to get back to you on the percentage because I'm trying to remember exactly what it is. Um, I can't recall off the top of my head, but um, the reserve we're carrying, I believe, is around 10 percent, Maureen. Do you recall? I'd I'd have to double check yeah, the percent as well. Check, but yeah. the um, this this reserve here from the prior budget cycle was when all the was said and done of the proposed expenditures we had additional revenue and so we felt that it was prudent at that time to set aside this money anticipating that inflation would occur or as we do every budget cycle we have additional budget proposals to consider and so this is sort of setting aside those funds as a, a, an initial source 
for funding any of the budget proposals. No, I, I actually like that very much, and I understand um, the uh, thought process. I was just wondering if there was a, a percentage thres threshold. We can find that out at another time. And then another uh, question I had, um, when you had said this is largely a status quo budget, um, just for clarification, what do you mean by that? By status quo, no, what we would think of as large organizational shifts, um, you know, major changes, major new capital projects, the capital projects, you know, like the, the largest one in, as an ocean view is an already established capital project. Um, so in that sense, you know, it doesn't have, it, it, this budget does not contemplate, you know, major shift or major changes that would require a really large, relatively large investment. Just knowing that the cycle that we're going into, um, we, you know, we thought it was prudent to, you know, wait until we see the numbers and see what really what we're working with before we do that. Um, so as far as new investments, that's what I would mean by a status quo project uh, budget that wouldn't preclude us from making changes internally or organizational shifts that were more cost, you know, budget neutral. Um, but as far as laying out, you know, huge new outlays, that's that's probably that's something that we are intending at this at at this time just kind of shy away from until we see the numbers. Thank you, Mike. Mm -hmm. um, Commissioner Lopez. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, um, just thank you for your time. Thank questions. you for the report. I have a couple um, clarifying questions. Um, sure. uh, the first one is on the kiosk. So you, if i not mistaken, you said that there's a total of 19 already um, throughout the branches. Um, so this is adding the 20th. Correct. And then so leading to to my question here, how many, because um, the kills is for computers, correct? Yeah. Yes, Commissioner. That's okay. Correct. So um, I was wondering if how many computers are already in existence and operating within the main campus. And um, so I, I'm just trying to, to see, you know, like how is the, the, the kiosk going to contribute more to, or the need for it. Um, and so that's my first question. Mm -hmm. So on that one, I would have to find out how many, how many we have in our, in our total bank. Um, so I, we can circle back. I don't know if that might have but Michael might, or. Our chief of the main library is here. She may be able to shed some insight into that. Hi, commissioners. I don't have the exact number um, off the top of my head. It's about 300 public computers. The reason we're asking for the kiosk is we removed the computers from the first floor, and we wanted to have a few computers on the first floor for people who come in. They just need to quickly like get into their email, print something on our library print stations, and that would be very convenient for them. It is also a way to try out that model of service for the main library in a very low price point. So that's the reason that we're asking for a pilot kiosk at the main. Thank you, thank you. Um, and then my second question is, um, and, and again, this is more for clarification for myself. Um, on the same page, you have refresher servment, uh, equipment server. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, can you elaborate on like what, what what men are we talking about, and it, does that include the computers? That's a that's an excellent question, Commissioner. That the server equipment itself is a bank of you can think of them as as computers, but they're really where we store all where we store the data, where the internet connection comes in and out. Um, and really, where we back up a lot of information. It's where we store, um, you know, sometimes temporarily data coming in. So it's, um, sometimes the ebooks. So it's a large bank of equipment. It's not, you know, public use computers, not like a staff computer or anything like that. But it, it's really how we move massive amounts of data in and out of, of, through the system. Got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, Commissioner Mall. Um. Thank you for your presentation. Um, could you review, I must have missed it, but um, could you review the $4 million um, main library safety enhancement project, what that is? So it's a, it's a series of projects, and, and I would invite, um, it's a series of projects that we've been looking at to improve the safety experience for, uh, in, within the main library. Um, in in doing so, inside, and, interior or exterior? I believe they're all it's, interior. Yeah, it's all yeah. interior, and it's addressing um, the light well safety as well as the atrium safety. So you see, um, some of the work that we've done in the past was putting in the plexiglass or right. glass on the stairwell. <laughs> so it's continuing that effort um, uh, throughout the third and fourth floor of the main library. So you didn't think it was adequate? What was done immediately following? Yeah, so we wanted something that was aligned with the architecture of the building, and we felt like what was done on the stairwell and in the atrium on the fourth floor was was consistent with the design, and rather than having uh, netting in the night in the light wells that we would transition to to glass to allow for the flow of light, which was the original architectural intention right. of those light wells, but maintaining a safe in, safety environment. So it's primarily on the third and fourth floor. Yes, and that's four million dollars. Yes. Yes, this yeah. building is approximately 376,000 square feet, uh, multi-level, and if you just walk around those floors and tally up the number of light wells, it's a significant amount of square footage, and um, you know we rely on our partners at Public Works for this work, and they have their overhead, there's you know the Bureau of Building uh, Repair, and all of the you know, materials and, which have gone up in cost. So it, it adds up. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't um, contract this out to anyone else. It's always, that's, this is just a. That's right. Public works, they have this market cornered, so to speak. They have the first right of first refusal. Yeah. So traditionally what, what happened is public works helps us with the design of projects. Um, they determine if they have the in-house staff to do the work um, or if they don't have the capacity, then it is put out to bid for an outside contractor to do the installation. In this case, it would be the installation of, of glass that would be consistent with the design work that we already did in the, on the stairwell and in the four, on the fourth floor atrium. 
So you foresee that coming in this year's budget, doing the work? Doing the work yep. would be in 24. So in this 24. would allow us wow. to allocate the funding. Um, we could do continue with some of the design work that Public Works has already started in the current fiscal year and then transition to do the actual work and installation in the upcoming budget. Thanks. Sure. Thank you. Um, uh, Vice President Huang. Just one quick question. I know if, uh, we've tossed a lot out there, but um, uh, looking at just again, the, the refreshed server equipment line item um, and the proposed change amount for FY24, and then tying that with the um, FY24 uses in IT, which is currently 8% of total usage. Do we expect, uh, and maybe this is, I expect the answer to this is a, we'll get back to you, but like on a multi-year time frame, do we expect the 8% to grow? Like, do we expect uh, the cost of maintaining ITI assets and services everywhere, every year to go up? Like it, I'm just conscious of any surprises amounts that end up just recurring over and over again, such that our IT budget starts to look more like 11, 12% or sorry. Um, yeah, 11, 12% rather than like an 8% in, in some future scenario. Thank you, Vice President. That's a, that's a very good question. I would say on a percentage basis, it may fluctuate some, but it may not be because of it, uh, how it's being driven. So on the capital side, if, as, or like for example, the capital side, which actually tends to have larger oscillations, if the if the capital investments decrease, right, that's going to push all the percentages up. So as a percentage basis, in in that framing, that would that could that could look different. Um, with on the overall, though, I would say compared to the other, you know, more operational steady state budgets, when we've looked at it for the last, for the next couple of years, it does not look look that way at this time. Um, so I would not expect it to, but every, well, we, you know, we always review it every cycle, so we, we will see, but I would, at this point, I, I wouldn't anticipate it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ono. I thank you very much for your presentation. Um, I was looking at the budget priorities and there are six of them, but in your breakdown by the non-position and position investment, uh, partnership for excellence wasn't mentioned, but I know that it's always there. So I'm just assuming it's built into the rest of the budget. Yes, that's accurate. So as our CFO said at the outset, this budget is relatively conservative. It's a status quo budget, as Mike mentioned. So certainly our existing ongoing investments in our programs and services are still reflected in our strategic priorities. Uh, we're just not calling out any new investments this budget cycle for that particular budget priority. That's what I figured. Um, and I, the mayor coming out with the budget instructions, is this about the same time every year or is it a little later? It's about the same time every year. I was I was in prepare in preparation for today's presentation. I was looking over the prior year's presentation, um, and similarly, the instructions were just following this commission meeting. She doesn't know our schedule. No, I'm not. 
Or maybe she does. doesn't I work around. No. I will say it is getting later and later. We it used is. to That's get what... it in the first week of December many years ago. And then so it, it does make the December discussion very hard. And that's why we we definitely caveat this as a preliminary glimpse glimpse at what what might be possible. But it really does hinge on the direction and the revenue information that we're expecting. Yeah, she likes to give you a Christmas present, so you can <laughs> work harder on the holiday. Um, just a side note, um, I see that you have budgeted for the uh, book scanner, and I totally agree with that. So um, thank you very much for all your work, and I hope you don't have to work over the holiday. <laughs> um, thank you, commissioners, for your... Oh, uh, Commissioner Ono has another comment. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to echo Commissioner Arnold's. Um, I'm really excited about the scanner as well. I just have a question. Um, when you um, when you're talking about obtaining, are we obtaining a physical scanner, or are we t obtaining the service, or you know, like for maintenance? So we are we are going to own that scanner. That is that is a proposal we have. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, thank you, commissioners. I have a few questions before uh, we sum up this presentation. Um, some of them were already um, asked by all of your thoughtful and um, insightful questions. I just, um, if we go to the position investments, what we're saying here that these are investments we're making that will then be ongoing and not one off for one year. So I'm just making sure we're aware that that is adding to our FTE um, overhead. Um, uh, the second question is, I'm just, I just, this is, I'm just curious. There are two proposals for a bookmobile expansion, same amount of FTEs and different expenses. So I'm just curious, like, mm -hmm. why is it different? Are they paid differently? That's an excellent question, President. Yes, they are two different classifications. So Got one it. Is, one is a tech and one is a librarian, too, I think, from memory. Um, but yes, it's because of the different classifications. Got it. Okay, thank you. So there's no question um, the city is in kind of a state of crisis as it's figuring out its economic future, and we are subject to that in terms of how we think about our budget, how we think about the services we offer. There's no question when the economics are down in the city, the library services become even more important, so it's even harder to make cuts. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that there will be some tough decisions when we meet again in, in January, as you know more, and when we think about things. Um, in February. But I just want to end by saying what you started with, which was that labor counts for 60% of our budget, and the library is all about the people. And um, so I just want to thank the staff for the hard work they've done, they continue to do. Um, I'm sure there were many more proposals that you had to say no to, and we hope that there will, there will be opportunities ahead to review those and consider those. Um, but we are at a moment where we have to really think about how to use, how to get as much as we can out of what we have to meet the needs of our community that are really challenged. So I just want to thank the staff for the work they do and look forward to um, seeing probably some more uh, cutbacks when we all gather again in January just because of the climate. So thank you again. Um, so we now move on to item number four which is um, an update and discussion on the Racial Equity um, Action Plan. And I now turn the meeting over to our city librarian. Thank you, President Wolf. 
You may recall back in May, we had a very comprehensive report from our racial equity manager, Naomi Jelks, on our progress at that time on the racial equity action plan. So this evening's presentation will be a more abbreviated uh, progress report on progress since that last presentation in May. And our racial equity manager, Naomi Jelks, is here to provide this presentation. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Naomi Jelks, Racial Equity Manager, and I'm here this evening to offer you a update on our Racial Equity Action Plan and the implementation process that we're undertaking. As you all remember, the, our REAP, the Racial Equity Action Plan, consists of seven sections, hiring and recruitment, retention and promotion, discipline and separation, diverse and equitable leadership and management, mobility and professional development, organizational culture of inclusion and belonging, and boards and commissions. In May, I was here to talk to you about some of the work that we had done up until that point. Um, in May, we had pulled forward um, work from each of the areas. Uh, we were really proud of that work, shared that with you. We reported that out to the Office of Racial Equity, and we're awaiting feedback from the ORE about our progress as a department. This evening, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about ongoing implementation of the REAP and some other additional items that I wanna make you aware of. So this evening, we're gonna focus on four areas, discipline and separation, diverse and equitable leadership, organizational culture of inclusion and belonging, and mobility and professional development. So under discipline and, um, excuse me, discipline and separation, we have the goals listed, and some the two primary areas that we worked on um, were to mandate all PPARs for supervisorial classifications, to include 24 plus training completion within the probationary period. The PPARs, as you may know, are the performance plan and appraisal report that each um, employee has, it's reviewed annually to provide the roadmap of the work they're going to undertake. And um, we also are requiring that uh, those same supervi supervisorial classifications complete implicit bias training, included for all, including all new hires, folks who are hired into the supervisorial classification. And the implicit bias training is important because it really defines what it is and how it influences our, how implicit biases influence us and the decisions that we make. And the training is also quite good because it includes tools and strategies to address bias and create inequity and inclusion. So I think in this area, these accomplishments are really supportive to frontline staff, specifically those who have um, direct reports. Diverse and equitable leadership, the goals are also listed here. Uh, the first bullet point looks at um, our first accomplishment, which was to develop and include hiring and recruitment inclusivity statement and library job announcement. And I believe that's gonna roll out in 2023. And I think that what I think about is, you know, having that inclusivity statement really affirms the library's um, commitment to racial equity in an overt way. If you ever read out job descriptions, it's real. when you read job descriptions where that is included, it's nice to see that on the front end. 
this second bullet point is actually under uh, mobility and professional development. But and it reads um, the goal reads is right is stated right there. Um, <laughs> um, and in terms of accomplishments in this area, there are many. So we communicate with staff about existing benefits, any new benefits to really help them, um, you know, kind of stay abreast of um, benefits that exist. And that really comes out of feedback that we got from staff and the um, initial um, racial equity survey that we um, pushed out to staff several years ago. So I wanted to um, include that in this piece. Um, supervisors and managers to communicate with staff um, across all classifications about trainings during P the PPAR process. So this area is really heavy with work that we're do continuing to do to support the PPAR process. Um, also listed is um, enforcing or um, de further developing a culture of learning w amongst our staff. So supervisors and managers will communicate and prioritize learning opportunities for staff across, across classifications. Again, that's some information that we're pulling out of the survey that we got from staff around what, what kind of stuff they're looking for um, from us as an organization. Alerting staff about other, um, op, you know, benefits um, related to employee assistant program and HR policies on an ongoing basis to talk to staff about um, reimbursement opportunities so that they're aware and they can take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and also, I think we're really working hard to have a one-stop shop where folks can get information because we're the library. There's a lot of information available to staff. So we really want to leverage StaffNet, which is our like intranet, like where staff find variety of information about resources, about um, benefits, learning opportunities. So really doing work to direct folks there and um, further develop our supervisors who are currently working for the library, but also a lot of the new staff who have been hired to kind of just get into this proactive communication loop. So we're sharing information in ways that are um, equitable across classifications. Under organizational culture of inclusion and belonging, we've, um, you know, during the first quarter onboarding newly hired employees, we will include um, information about the rights for parents to breastfeed or chest feed at any location. So again, just kind of keeping staff abreast of um, new information that they'll need as employees within SFPL and directing them to where they can get more information and empowering our supervisors and uh, managers to know themselves where to get that information so they can share it with staff. Oops. Um, lastly, a couple of things coming down the pike. Um, again, working with DHR to schedule uh, PPAR trainings in Q3 and Q4. So that's something we already do, but as we come more fully online coming out of the pandemic, we wanna make sure we pay attention to that piece. So staff are, we revisit how to write um, high quality PPARs and for the new staff onboarding who may be unfam unfamiliar with that process, they're getting that information in a clear and consistent manner. Updating our staff net 
page, um, including one-stop shopping for the training page um, on StaffNet so people aren't having to poke around um, at different sites to find basic information. Um, and also in Q3 and 4, we're going to see the return of the Affinity Group monthly meetings, the racial equity newsletter, and also the Real Talk, Real Racial Equity at Libraries. Our we we have a system-wide, you know, all staff training at our all staff meetings that happen the fifth Friday of any any month. So um, we're we're striving to have two trainings before the end of the fiscal year. And I think that provides a pretty good overview of the work that we've been doing and now implementation. I want to give a big shout out to Maria Mastro-Kriakos, who is my co-chair on the Racial Equity Committee. She's our DEI contact um, for HR. Lori Regler and her staff have been doing an exemplary job at implementing pieces of our REAP, and I'm forever indebted to the work that they, the great work they continue to do. And lastly, to you all for your continued support and encouragement. Thank you. Thank you so much, Naomi. And I just want to acknowledge Naomi's leadership. The racial equity manager position is a relatively new position in our organization, reporting directly to the department head, me, city librarian. And Naomi's impact has been very impactful. Uh, as, not just within our organization, but as a leading urban library, she has also been working with our peers across the country and sharing our best practices here in the city and county of San Francisco. People are looking to us for guidance, how to get started, how to measure success. And I, I just want to appreciate publicly Naomi's leadership and being an ambassador for the work we're doing. Thank you, Michael. I'm here for any questions. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, before we open this up for public comment, uh, before we have a comment and questions from the commission, I want to open it up to public comment. We'll begin here in Karat Auditorium and then move to public comment via WebEx. So public comment on this item, item number four, is now open here in Karat. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com. And P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. The primary focus of this uh, discussion uh, is mentioned as phase one of the Racial Equity Action Plan update, uh, which on the first page says internal programs, practices, and policies implementation update. And I appreciate uh, what we've heard, but there are a lot of questions. So for example, where we talk about professional development, I haven't seen any mention of budget. And I also haven't heard specifically in the budget discussion that we just had previously, a mention of professional development for the folks working at the library and particularly providing public service. Quite some years ago, I was astounded, and I haven't done this recently, but I was astonished that the entire library's training 
an education budget was $50,000 for more than 600 employee uh, for more than 600 full-time equivalents and almost 1,000 employees. And when you have boards and commissions and management uh, having diverse and equitable leadership, that's great. But what is that going to do for the public? And I'd ask you as commissioners, if you walk into a branch as a library user and you don't see any publicity about library programs, author talks, and so on, how are you going to know to even inquire further about it if you don't have easy access to a computer? As wealthier, not so minority, and other folks, all the vulnerable folks are the ones who have disproportionately less access. And so now they have to find out about this thing somehow or another, but you're sending weekly updates to those who have email. You're sending monthly update to those who have email. You're not doing that for the folks with mail contact or who walk into the branch in most cases. And when the only way to get access by phone is to get online and RSVP and then tell them your email and name and have an email address, and from that find out magically that there's access by phone, you have dis as you've disempowered all those folks with less computer access. And that goes for the folks who don't have the technology to read, the Kindle or the other things that you've made available only to the folks who can pay to play. Everybody can read a book, but not everyone has a Kindle or whatever other uh, device. And I think that's a serious issue you need to look into, which is access equity. Thank you very much. Any further public here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing no further comment here in Coret, we now turn to our visitor, our viewers, and um, participants on WebEx. Operations, are there any um, people wanting to offer public comment on this item? Madam President, at this time, there are no callers in the queue. I will pause briefly to allow anyone who wishes to, to join. Madam President, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you very much, operations. Public comment, seeing that there's no further public comment via WebEx, public comment on this item number four is now um, completed. We will now open this up to discussion from the commissioners. Um, is there anyone who would like to offer comment or ask any questions? Uh, Commissioner Lomax Garducci. Naomi, Naomi, thank you so much for your report um, and all the work that you've been doing in this past year and moving this important body of work forward. I just had a real quick, just actually a technical question. Can you tell me again what is uh, what PPARs are? It's performance plan and re appraisal report. Okay. And so those happen annually. So when you when you're hired, you work out with your direct supervisor what your PPAR would be, mm -hmm. lays out your work plan for the year. Um, programming, outreach, de professional development. That's wonderful. I figured it was something like that, but I wasn't quite sure. And I have a question um, as a practitioner myself about the anti-bias um, and anti-racist uh, discipline um, uh, factors. Are there a particular lists that, that have been put together um, to help people understand what anti-racist discipline looks like? 
and kind of helps them go through it. So when you think when you're referring anti-racist discipline, can you explain a little bit more? So I'm I'm tapping into the resources that we've provided. Absolutely. I'm trying to see where did I read it? Um, because I, that's something I haven't incorporated in the practices that I've been get engaged in. So I just want to make sure that I'm learning from it. Um, it's right here. What page is on? Oh, okay. It says, um, SFPL will analyze current discipline and separation data by race and develop an action plan based on biases identified. Um, then it goes towards the um, end, including training for all managers on anti-racist discipline practices. I just want to learn more about that. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, so with the goals, that's pulled directly from our REAP. And so a part of our implementation process, we go back and fine tune language. That might be some language we're going to fine tune. But, um, you know, basically it, we're trying to look at both DHR <coughs> and other learning um, companies that we contract with for learning anti-racist um, you know, discipline. So we have Learn It that has onboarded. They have um, a cohort of, I think, five classes, anti DEI, anti-racist classes that the Racial Equity Committee is <clears throat> is piloting with the with the idea that we would then, you know, once we give the thumbs up to HR that this is a value, then it would be rolled out and made available to library staff as a whole. Great, great. I'd love to hear more about that as it rolls out and, and to hear what um, your experiences are with that. Okay, I'm happy to share that. Yeah, and really what are the things that you glean from it, that's really what I'm most interested in. Okay, will do. Great, thank you so much. Any further comment? Um, uh, Commissioner Lopez. <coughs> thank you so much for the report. Um, it's always exciting. Um, in the in progress, I have a question in terms of the affinity groups, mm -hmm. and I was wondering if you could elaborate what um, strategies are are you setting in place to to make sure that um, there is representation from all the branches and all, all the groups, um, and and then how are the people participating in, in those affinity groups being um, allowed to participate. And, and by that, I mean, you know, uh, is it during office hours, um, you know, just kind of like the structure of this affinity groups. Um, I find that oftentimes affinity groups are fantastic and they're great, but the people that would like to participate oftentimes um, don't have access or, you know, um, don't, don't get to participate. So, mm -hmm. so I'm curious, it's more of a curiosity and then, um, and just to, just see the composition or how you are carrying on, um, the plan. Thank you for that question, um, Commissioner Lopez. So <clears throat> in restarting the affinity group, we're going to pull forward some of what we've already learned about, Best our best practices um, around offering this. So I think it's two things. So for one, the affinity group will, it, it looks like it's going to happen on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. So it'll be monthly. It's during paid hours. So um, with the idea that, <clears throat> and creating a calendar for the next six months, I share that with COB, COM, just all divisions um, with 
via email and also talking to the um, chiefs, imploring them to work their schedules out so that employees who have expressed interest in attending are able to attend. <clears throat> I think that's important. So, you know, I, I'm constantly in contact with uh, chief of branches, COM, um, and other divisions to share with them what's going on with racial equity work. And so I think that, and also just kind of doing a roadshow to put in time with staff and say, introduce myself to the new staff, let them know the different resources that are available to them through the racial equity committee. Um, we're going to also launch our SharePoint page. So that again will be a one-stop shop for all things racial equity, including how we are helping the, the folks in the organization, including the affinity groups, the real talks, other resources that are available for them to kind of build their anti-racist muscle. Um, I don't know. I feel like you had like three questions. I don't know if I got to all of them. So restate anything that I didn't answer for you, please. <clears throat> no, I think I, I'm sure that, I mean, you did address all the, the questions. Um, oh, wait, may I interject real quick? So in terms of folks opting in, so we cast a really wide net. The affinity group is for folks who self-identify as being BIPOC. So anyone who falls under that umbrella is welcome to attend. In terms of the structure of the affinity group, we're looking to have, um, to share out like a theme or topic. <clears throat> What we do for our monthly racial equity committees is we look at kind of like hot topics, what's going on in the world or the community that we live in to guide um, our initial 20 to 30 minutes. So we would uh, try to use that same model with the affinity group to kind of loosen people up. And then we can take a deeper dive into if that relates to what we're experiencing in the library as a whole or just an opportunity for people to just kind of um, switch gears and share something totally different. Because I think what we're we're finding in our online meetings. And so um, during COVID, the affinity group was online. It will, you know, for moving forward, it'll be online to ensure that people can opt in, um, that we just need to be in community with one another. Um, some people have a more developed vocabulary around anti-racist work, and they feel very comfortable jumping in. Other folks, not so much. So we want to make space for all of that and be supportive of folks. And then lastly, <clears throat> Um, in terms of our just general affinity group, we're also getting off the ground a um, LGBTQIA affinity group, and that'll be rolling out um, before the end of the fiscal year. Great. Thank you. Uh, I just, my question also was about the structure, like meaning um, are these facilitated by upside facilitators? Are there, um, like who's leading this, this affinity groups? Is it within the 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 people that are volunteering um so but that's too much details and we can talk about so later. quickly they're being facilitated by members of the committee so what we pulled forward is that there were folks on the committee the way the racial equity work is um is kind of shared is people opt into things they're most passionate about so we have uh, two to three folks who have expressed interest in leading the affinity group. And what has happened in the past is, you know, that group, that subcommittee, they do work to, you know, kind of be in community with one another. Um, they have their finger on the pulse of the organization, so they know what kind of things they would like to see, what kind of conversations they would like to see happen in the affinity groups. And they have, um, you know, they're empowered to guide the um, the discussions through that lens. So my role is I meet with these various um, 
subcommittees to for them to report out, to check in on the progress of the work, the tenor of the conversations, feedback that we're getting from staff, because that's another piece. It's like people share what's good and not good in a variety of ways. So it's nice to have a sounding board to kind of be able to tease out what's actionable, because I think that's the other piece of affinity groups, um, of the affinity groups that we want to really, um, you know, kind of develop. We want there to be share, share what's going on, but we also want things that are actionable because we want to improve the organization at the end of the day. And so we're not opposed to having outside facilitators. If you know of some, you know, of some folks that you would like me to consider, please uh, share that out with me. Thank you so much. Uh, I will keep that in mind. Uh, I, I think that this work is great and I appreciate everything, you know, uh, you've been doing and how you took on and are really, really doing, you know, an amazing, impactful work. Well, thank, thank you. you. I'm, I'm only as good as my the staff that I lead. So I'm, I'm heavily in debt to the HR folks who help do, you know, implement stuff, the um, racial equity committee, the members. Uh, they're the ones who do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, I just get to come and report out to you all. <laughs> we appreciate that. All of you. Um, Commissioner Ono. Hi. We spoke last week um, at the event and you were saying that we are well ahead of other departments and you know how competitive I am. I just <laughs> want to be sure that we're going to get number one ra ranking on this. So keep up the good work and thank your team for everything that they've done. Thank you, Commissioner Ono. We're, we're still number one. <laughs> Any further comments? Um, I just want to join in the chorus of thanking you, Naomi, for taking on this um, very important position for leading um, in the way that you are with so much uh, grace and integrity. Um, a leader is somebody that people want to follow, and you clearly are a leader because people want to be part of this. And the success will really depend on everyone joining in. And so you really are poised to really make a difference, and you already are. And I'm, we're really excited to keep hearing updates and want to support the work you're doing and you're doing with all the colleagues. So thank you again. Thank you, Madam President. So um, now we turn to item number five, which is uh, the city librarian's report. Um, and I turn it over to Michael Lambert. Thank you, President Wolf. As we close out the year, we have a more abbreviated city librarian's report this evening. Just one report, but uh, it is an important reminder. Here's the clicker for you all. This is going to be a fun reminder of the important work we do to spread the joy of reading and get books into the hands of young people across the city. It is my pleasure to introduce our two presenters this evening. We have Denise Schmidt. She is the manager of the Collection Development Office in our Collections and Technical Services Division. And we also have Christy Estrovitz, our Youth Services Manager, part of the Community Programs and Partnerships Division. So they will be delivering this presentation. Good evening, everyone. Um, Christy and I are just two of the staff of many staff who do this project. It's an additional project that we do on top of our regular work, basically. Um, so what my units, which are collections and cataloging, my units order the materials for the entire library system. And for the giveaway books, we do 
separate orders for just all the materials that we're buying for the giveaways. Um, I'm happy that I get to do a lot of the ordering. Um, and then the acquisitions department, we have a special fund for this. They place the orders, they come into our receiving department. We shelve them all up so we have them all separated by languages. We are giving away books in English, Spanish, and Chinese. Um, and Christie's units are reaching out CPP. They're reaching out to community-based organizations throughout the city and telling them, hey, we have books. Are you doing programs? Are you wanting us to come and talk about the library and offer books to children for them to pick for themselves? Um, we also, to a smaller extent, purchase books for adults. We focus, well, I focus on large print books for senior centers and also puzzle books um, for people who want to keep their mind fresh, they're working their Sudoku or they're doing their crosswords or they're doing their word finds. We buy those kind of books as well so that we can offer something for adults and not just children, even though children, we're children's librarians. So children and teen are what we like the best, <laughs> but we also serve adults. So, and then delivery services, this is Walter Kimball, who you might've met. He, we palletize the books. Sometimes we're giving away the Scholar at Home bundles, which you guys can see. We give away hundreds of these at a time usually. And what they have are 10 books for the earliest readers. There's some board books and some picture books, plus a little rhyme book for parents. We have them in three languages. English, Spanish, and Cantonese, uh, Chinese. And children get to take these little suitcases home with them. And they have a little library that is theirs to keep. It's their little seed library. Um, Christy helps us find agencies that serve the youngest children and delivery services. And my people, we pack these up, we palletize them, and we ship them to the agencies. Sometimes with some of our libraries, our branch libraries, there, the branch librarians are already doing story times at some of these early childhood centers. And so they get to come on the days when these are given out and make a connection with their librarian, with books, with the joy of reading, with having a library at your home, enjoying books with your parents or your caregivers. So um, we do this all over the city. Yes. And in fact, we have donated over 600 of these sets to the local fire department. There are partners in getting out books and toys during the holiday season. Um, I think they've gone through how many pallets? We've sent oh. them to, well, let's see, one, two, three. I fit about 110 boxes per pallet. So they've done six pallets so far. Wow. Yeah, and that say? was a, a real match. This is with the SF Fire Department. You know, you see their big bundles, they collect toys, and we donate books at public events. But this was a real, like, match for their need this holiday season. They said, we never really have enough toys for babies and toddlers. And so in our planning meeting, we said, oh, we have books, which are the best gifts for the young child. It serves their whole family. So... We should bring more items for you to pet in future meetings. <laughs> um, I invite you to look at the pictures. This is from the SFUSD enrollment fair, the first enrollment fair that they've had in over two years. And this is just, I invite you to look at what's going on in the engagement about the books. 
Of course, we're, we're centering youth here, but look at their adults. At this event alone, we gave away 2,000 books. What was the event? The SFUSD, so San Francisco Unified School District Enrollment Fair at John O'Connell High School. So this was targeting um, kindergarten through fifth. Their middle and high school events were virtual. So enjoy these the photos. Are all adults. Yeah. yeah, these are parents. These are all parents, young children too. And the teachers that came when we had books um, still on the table said, take what you need for your classrooms. So every book given away. And this was English, Spanish, and Chinese. Yeah. So we know the books and the home, that's a key indicator for school readiness. Those tools are invaluable. We also know that book ownership is equally important. So I have some data for you. Um, and as you know, the access to print resources during the early childhood years are immediate and influential on the child's success in learning how to read and their interest in school. Literacy is a basic human right, and we at the library believe in that in our collections, but also in the power of giving books and giving choice. Over 32 million children live without books in their homes, and 61% of families living in high poverty have no books at all. So we're changing that through the Scholars at Home program and all the book giveaways that we're doing this fall. So we're, we're showing pictures from events this fall. Just keep that in mind. Um, you're going to see pictures about with tables of books. And that's all about the voice and choice. We want children to be able to see themselves in the books, see beyond themselves in the books, and have choice. So whatever book is speaking to them, that's the one we want them to take home. If we have more books on the table, come back and get more. We're granting them the space and the time to be selective because we believe in the power of choice and also the beauty and importance of reading for pleasure. This is not a textbook. These books are diverse. They are, they are brand new. So um, moving on. So this is a little spread of things that happened in October. There were a variety of programs celebrating Latino heritage. And so there were a multitude of Viva programs that happened. Also, I don't know if any of you live in the Outer Sunset, but on the Great Highway, they had a program called the Great Haunt Way, where <laughs> they did all kinds of cool Halloween-themed activities. And the top right-hand picture shows sun, um, Ortega Branch had tabled this event. And you can see all the new books that they had put out and all the interested parents and children who had books to choose from. Um, Visitation Valley had the Asian Pacific Community Center open house that they tabled at. Um, Christy talked about the San Francisco Unified School District Enrollment Fair. Sunset Branch had the Artwalk SF block party. And so they had a whole table of brand new books to share with people. And then there was the Buena Vista Horace Mann Fall Festival that was also, was that tabled by you? Or was that Mission That's Branch? That's Mission. It's across the street. I think street that was Mission that. Branch. Mission Branch tabled that with brand new books. And so this is just a little smorgasbord of what happened in October. We're really excited. This lower picture um, with the Palo Terro Man, that's by Lucky Diaz, Latin Grammy winner, um, who is now a children's book author. And that's um, one of the interns from the Latino Task Force, who was our communication partner, partner in getting the word out. Then we move on to November. Chinatown branch asked for books because there was a community resource fair. 
So I was sending primarily, he wanted, Chow wanted books for seniors, so he was interested in the puzzle books and coloring books for adults and also Chinese language books. So we were able to supply those. The African American Center had some teen tours, so we had a lot of books that had teen main characters or black authors and black authors and black main characters. So those books we sent over to the African American Center. There was the ABC cookout, which happened right at the end of November. That was, was that the HRC, that the Human, Human Rights, Rights Council Commission was sponsoring that? So we were able to give them a mixture of books to give out. One school, one of our branch libraries had a good connection with their local school and they did a teacher book club. So we provided the, the same title, 20 copies, so all the teachers could have a book club. And I know that that was really popular. And then one of our best partners, at least for me, has been the Department of Public Health. When we started giving them a lot of books during COVID, we were focusing on like the isolation and quarantine centers. There were the hotels where people who did not have a house were staying in. Um, we were selecting books and sending them there. DPH was handling that for us. And also when they, you know, they were based in Moscone doing all of their command stuff. We were giving them books for the testing centers so that when children came in who had to get a test, they could also get a book. And then when vaccines came out, they're like, can you give us more books for the vaccination centers that we're doing at various local schools? It's like, sure. So we were sending pallets, pallets of books to go to the vaccination centers. And now with my partnership with Maria Howard at DPH, we are giving books to the community health clinics. There's six of them throughout the city. And so now she just, she writes me and she just says, I need, well, she usually says, I need books for my six clinics. And I'm like, how about this many hundred of this and several hundred of English and how many Spanish do you want and what age group do you want? So DPH, who I never worked with before COVID has really been a great partner in um, us reaching kids when they go to see the clinic or when they have to get their vaccination. She's told me how popular the books have been after the kids get their shot. So that has been really just a great new partnership to be working with DPH. Absolutely, can't you tell the joy that Denise has <laughs> when she's talking and building these partnerships? Oh. And you probably noticed our, our city librarian oh, yes. was the VIP guest to this after-school program, Mariposa Kids. So of course he brought books and did a story time. So. I think he was even asked for autographs. Oh. <laughs> you were not. <laughs> Why not? Oh, so you were signing on the on the signature of the author page of the book? That's funny. I love that detail. Yeah. That's great. And in December, we have had not one, not two, not three, actually four book giveaways. And I've been at three of them. Um, you know, typically we work with the mayor and child um, support services and we do the big mayor's book and toy giveaway. And our partners really wanted to change that and do it more locally. So we partnered with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, first, the past two Fridays, we've been there, one at Willie Mays in the Bayview community, and they bust um, students about 200 students to their from their sister sites over to get a book meet santa get a toy and then hit repeat on that and brought it into the mission community last 
last Friday. So great way to see youth, see their, um, their, their um, adults and really spoil them with books. So this is our new family engagement coordinator, Jen, with, uh, with this kid who's totally delighted to see this book, find this book that looks like her and excited to take it home. We also did the tree lighting event last week at Civic Center. I hope that you were all there. Uh, we gave out, I don't know, over a thousand books mm -hmm. um, for sure. And it's just really a delight to bring literacy into that event. Uh, you'll see that we also have the Mission Promise Neighborhood, a holiday book giveaway, and also Hunter View Library. Um, do you want to talk about that? Hunter View Library is up at the hill, up by Malcolm X Elementary School, and they have a little free library, but it was, it was full of kind of outdated books. So last week, I and a couple of other staff from Bayview Branch and Alice from Acquisitions we brought uh, an entire brand new collection. And so we packed up all of the old books and we restocked the whole library with new books. Really nice books, <laughs> I have to say. And so they have a whole brand new little library now that they'll get to use at Hunter's View. Um, it's completely revamped. That was really fun. Yeah. Hope that you're paying attention to the kids and their adults. This picture up here from the tree lighting ceremony. You know, the mom is equally as interested in the and in the kids and what they're choosing. Yeah, I just love there. how those kids, that one boy is just looking at like, do I want this book? Let me look this book over. And the mom's kind of like, do I want you to have that book? Yeah, I love that. And of course we say yes. So, so far, this is our fiscal impact of giving away. This is really highlighting the work of October through Today. this week. Yeah. yeah. So over 100 events with community and community and 28,000 plus individual books. And then 1,600 of the Scholar at Home kits. But I'm about to ship out another 150 next week and probably another 330 to the fire department oh, next so. week. Yeah, yeah I think, so. if we, if we can do it, yeah. they can get it out. We've also, when we've, we've been um, at the Boys and Girls Club, you'll see inside a free little library with a teen winter read log, kind of plugging, uh -huh. you know, get involved with your library. And I've found that that's one of my personal joys is seeing little free libraries and stocking them. So I wish I could have a day just to do that around the city. Wouldn't that yeah. be fun? Yeah. Oh, and that middle center picture is the three, three of the pallets going to the fire department and the two little rolling trucks are the shipment for the tree. Lighting ceremony, yeah. Yeah, me and me and one other worker, we box those up. That's a lot of books to box up. Box yeah, up. wait, Shelly may have helped. Shelly, did you help on that one too? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Thank you, Shelly. Yeah. Everyone likes to do this. So these are just some of our community partners that we want to uplift and thank them for being, you know, ambassador for the library and connector yeah. to youth and families. Yeah. The Tenderloin Benefit District, we have a little library on a rolling truck that they bring out once a week. And I, John, I'm a, what's his last name? John McLaughlin, and I supply him. He comes, he actually walks down with a rolling truck to our building at 9th and Howard, and I've boxed up the selection of books for him. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really a delight. And we're just so glad that we have the funds that we can do this and that Michael set aside money that is just for giveaway books. We didn't have that before. So now we have a dedicated funding stream just for the giveaway portion of the 
library work, and it's really, it's been such a delight. Yeah. It makes a difference. Thank you, Shelly Cocking, for yeah, leadership thanks, Shelley. on this, and Michelle Jeffers, too, yeah. for saying yes and granting us permission to make space for this. Yeah, and just that we can say yes to darn near any ask. <laughs> and if you have agencies in the city, we try to focus on children in need, mm -hmm. um, connect them to Lambert, excuse me, Mr. Lambert, <laughs> and um, we'll, 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 make it happen. we'll make it happen, yeah. We can make it happen. Thank you so much, yeah. Denise, and thank you so much, Christy. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the commission for approving our budget, which oh, yeah. makes thank this you for possible. Um, I'm so proud of the team, and I'm proud of the work that they're doing. Uh, and it, it's, it's really nice that we're having this presentation on um, the tale of, of hearing about our racial equity action plan update because this is what racial equity looks like from a public services standpoint. And I'm really proud that our librarians and our staff are getting out into the most underserved communities to make sure that books are getting into the hands of the most underserved populations, uh, the youth and families that need these resources the most. Uh, we know that if kids are not reading by grade level by third grade, the outcomes just are very poor. And this is an opportunity to have an early intervention to get kids ready to read, ready to learn, excited to enter kindergarten. Uh, Christy and I, we were in the mission with the early literacy coordinator and the manager of the mission branch. Uh, it's, it's at, it was at the Boys and Girls Club in the mission. And it really broke my heart. There was a little boy that came through. He was probably kindergarten or first grade and he was kind of sullen. He didn't want to pick up a book. And he was going to just like walk by and bypass his opportunity. So we stopped him and we, we said, wait, wait, you got to pick a book. that You can pick any book you want. And he said, well, I don't read. And I don't know how to read. And, you know, we said, that's okay. You still get to pick a book. Because that's what we're trying to do is, you know, change these outcomes. We know youth in some of our more working class communities, uh, their families have less leisure time to take them to the library. And so that's why we want to take the library to them. And, you know, this is a growing trend for us. And I just really appreciate all the hard work of the staff to schlep these books out in the community, pack up these kits. Uh, it, it takes a village, finance, delivery services, um, everybody's involved. But the impact is amazing and the joy that we bring, the excitement that if you could only see these kids, and, and some of you have participated in our book giveaways. I know the Junior Giants Festival. So again, thank you team. And that concludes the City Librarian's Report. Thank you very much. What a great uh, end to the year and a great beginning to the next year. Um, before comments um, and questions, we will open this up to public comment here in Correct first and then go to any participants on WebEx. So public com comment on item number five is now open here in Correct. Peter Warfield, Executive Director. Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com. 
And P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. Thank you very much for the presentation. We're always glad to hear about books, uh, as you may have gathered from some of my other comments. Um, I am interested, first of all, I could comment better if I could see one of those, and I'd like to ask to see what one of those uh, guys looks like. Uh, And I wish I could see before making comment. Uh, And I see it coming around. Thank you. Uh, uh. (laughs) So the timer is still going. Um, So my big question, Uh, too Many Tamales is one of the titles I said. How can there be too many tamales? But I guess I'll have to <laughs> read the book and find out. Um, uh, what I would like to know is, though, there was mention about choice, and I'm not clear how it's decided what to put in and which kid gets what uh, selection and how the selection is made. It seems there are questions of content, subject, and, of course, language. Uh, And the other thing is I'm curious how the library itself is, if you like, touting itself or publicizing itself, where, of course, there is a vastly larger collection of books than anything you can put on tables or in in a thing like this. Not to say that this is less valuable, only that there would be an ideal opportunity for the library to make it clear that there are also branches and the main library, there are, there's a catalog, there's a whole range of children's departments, uh, and uh, the library's well-stocked with those and well-stocked with books so that folks can come into an even larger treasure and the boy who can't read, unfortunately, well, uh, there's a lot the library offers there, including picture books uh, and um, literacy programs that I think may not... I'm not sure if those go for kids or just for adults, but in any case, the library has a lot to offer and also the parents. So uh, thanks very much. And again, I I would be interested in hearing how the library is being um, publicized for its riches that are um, terrific. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any further public comment here in Coret Auditorium? Seeing that there's no further public comment here in Coret, we will now turn to uh, participants via WebEx. Operations, are there any commenters in the queue? Madam President, at this time, there are no commenters in the queue. Pause briefly to allow callers to join. Madam President, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you so much, operations. Seeing that there's no, um, no one in the queue, Public comment for item number five is now complete. We will now turn to commission discussion and action. I suspect it's going to be a love fest. Um, it's a joyful, uh, joyful moment. You, you, you exude joy. Um, and so I um, turn to my fellow commissioners if they have any questions or comments. Um, Commissioner Mall. Um, I won't take up time. Um commenting on what everyone has said about how wonderful the program is, so know that I think that. My question is, how much does this cost the library? We have 
a million dollars, I believe, set aside for this. Is it a million, Shelley? 1.3. 1 1.3 million um, set aside for this. And I mean, all the giveaways we do. So like the Junior Giants. Is so which one. we approved mm -hmm. at some point. Yeah. So we've, yeah. <laughs> the thing, and it's good because one thing that we've discovered, you know, Chinese books, the shipping and the printing cost of Chinese language books has really gone up like four times. Um, they're a lot harder to get. So we're not getting as good a discount as we used to get on the Chinese language books that we used to get really great discounts on. But such is life. So um, do we, uh, did we uh, um, approve this last year for this year? And we approve this this year for next year, I'm assuming. Yes, you approved it last year as a continuing or ongoing budget item. So it's part of the base budget. So it's not a line item on its own. It, um, I just yeah, where it fits into the budget that we yeah, approved. Yeah, it's part of the collections budget overall. And um, I believe it has its own segregated uh, cost center for this. Yeah, and just to build on what Maureen said, um, you may recall specifically the Scholars at Home program that we did present in a prior budget cycle. That's what these little suitcases are. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, and that was the initial investment in last budget cycle. We, we were so pleased with the reception and um, felt that it was worth continuing to invest more in this concept, and that's why the last budget cycle got pushed up to a, a new budget allocation of one one point three. There was a private donor, wasn't there, who gave away a lot of books? Yes, during COVID, uh, the Department of Children, Youth, and Families, they were working with a private donor uh, because we were looking to buy approximately $3 million worth of books and get 10 books in the hands of every San Francisco Unified School District student. I. I think that that private gift may have gotten hung up uh, on the behested payments ordinance and uh, the city ended up funding those those books. So um, it was a successful program is the bottom line. I, I'm sure it is, but it, it seems to me if we're making um, modifications at any point in our budget trying to be leaner, I'm sure there'd be other private donors who would love to underwrite this project. I mean, it's such an important, feel good, all good, uh, something to offer to the public. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Mall. Uh, Commissioner Lopez. Denise and Christy, uh, this is one of the highlights of today's meeting. Um, I do have a question and probably, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm just going to put it up there. Um, I was just thinking when this, when you go to the community and you you give out these books, is there an incentive to also get library cards? Like I know the bookmobile, you some of them you can go in and and parents can register and and they can get the. Um, the book card, I mean, the, the library card. So I was just thinking, is there, you know, like, um, and I hate to, to say it, but it's kind of like um, some other entities where like, sign up for this and you get a library card. 
Um, and, and the reason why I'm thinking or my rationale for that is to keep encouraging them to know where the books are coming from and that um, they have a place to go and discover reading, you know. So, and, and I don't know, and, and that's why it's a, it's a question. Do we have something where we, we do give out, like, you know, take a book and get a library card, kind of? So... We were just Shelley, we were just discussing this um, for the next iteration of Scholar Card because we're going to go for a slightly older grade. Scholar and at Scholar at Home, excuse me. And so what we were thinking of doing is putting a QR code mm -hmm. into these kind of boxes that would lead them to the application form and that we on a weekly basis would check to see how many applications came from people who got these packages and we would mail them the cards. Um, and, and We're I, not always I there. An update on That's that. a good idea. Oh, did he get okay? It's a very good well, idea. Well, oh, go ahead. So, yeah, we I've been working with IT closely on this idea, and it's a little bit difficult because our Sierra, our ILS, is doesn't like to have more than one application. But we just recently this week um, successfully got it to happen. So. Now um, we're working to try to get the QR code and be able to print it out and have it directed. Right now it only works in English though, so we're trying to get it to come in Spanish and Chinese as well, so we can offer it to anybody, you know, like specific to the language and the scholars at home. And that'll also allow us to track, if we gave out this box, how many of those families ended up um, being able to get a library card from us. So as a way of improving the library card access to those families. Thank you, you want to talk about Scholar Card in general? Yeah. I would just add that many of the events we are at SFUSD, and all those students have library cards. So it's really fun to say there are more books at your library. You have a library card. So um, that's been kind of exciting. And often when a, a, an avid reader comes to the table, it's like, but I want this book. We're like, oh, someone already took that, but we have it at the library. Like we're there always communicating, this is from the library, come see us at the library. And when we can have the local librarian there to be with us, to welcome their community. And I just want to add to what the team is saying. If you notice the Scholars at Home kit, it is branded with the San Francisco Public Library already. And as another example, on December 22nd, next week, or week after, next week, uh, we'll be at the Bayview YMCA, which is just one block from the Bayview uh, Linda Brooks Burton Branch Library. They've requested 150 of these early literacy kits because they're having a huge holiday festival. And we're also supplying them with a supply of other book giveaways for the older kids. And so our presence giving away these books, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to raise awareness of the Bayview branch for these people that may or may not otherwise visit the branch. And so it, it's all about... Um, you know, raising awareness, but just getting these books in the hands of the most vulnerable youth and families. Thank you. There we go. Yeah. Great. Um, I think um, um, Vice President Huang. I just have a comment. It's not a question. I think I just think it's interesting that we're seeing like a uh, an expansion into lighter asset models for delivery. Going, th I mean, the bookmobiles have been around for for a while, but the vending machines even lighter than a bookmobile. 
this has no cap, like uh, sort of uh, like heavy sort of capital investment at all. So we're largely using, you know, the, the, the rest of the city to help deliver this, right? We already have that infrastructure. Uh, it kind of feels it's interesting, right? Like on a on a like a decade sort of time frame, you could see the collections budget shifting quite dramatically, um, and that cut I think will be more and more interesting over the years. So I guess it's just a note to the twenty thirty library commission that we saw it coming, and it starts right here. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, twenty thirty will be here before we know it. Um, Commissioner Award, um, uh, Lomax Ward Garducci. <laughs> That's no problem. Yeah, I, I did that just to kind of mess people up. So um, one thing I will say is that um, more books, whether you get them from the library or you get them at a table at your local community center, all of that does is that it begets more success. So one thing does not take away from the other at all. Um, as a matter of fact, you just give more access points. And so I'm so excited to see this. Um, and um, I think um, Commissioner uh, Pete's uh, comment is really interesting because I do think that, you know, COVID has created these various ways in which we're going to continue to engage society differently. And different parents are going to have different levels of, of, of comfort, even as well as not just for the vote, those that are most vulnerable, but you can have people that perhaps are not as vulnerable or maybe they are, but they have different uh, levels of comfort. And so um, I really love the distribution methods and I love this methodology. And I think it's reinforcing everything that, S that SFUSD has been doing with giving away those cards for years. You're right, uh, Christy. They have been doing um, all children have, um, I can't remember what grade they target, but every usually SFU SFUSD pre uh, pandemic was very successful in ensuring that every child had a library card. And so um, I think this is fantastic. I think it's going to be a model that other cities are going to pick up too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as I said, this, there's no Scrooge in the room for this, uh, the end of the holiday. This is just um, pure joy. I had an experience of giving away books um, and that I, with Dr. Lope, uh, Dr. Lopez, and it was just one of the best moments to just see these kids like, really? Like I don't have to pay? Um, there was just something so great about that. So thank you for the incredible work you're doing for bringing books to people as opposed to making them come to us. Um, there's just something really wonderful and um, inspiring about what that means for the future. So thank you again. And um, we are now finished with the bulk of the meeting and we are turning now to adjournment. Um, item number six, adjournment. So um, we will open this up to public comment before our discussion and action on this item. Public comment is now open in Correct Auditorium. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544. San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. We said it before and we'll say it again. We would like you to insist before adjourning that you put and have put on the agenda every time, as you used to do and as many bodies in the city and elsewhere do, and that is an item 
at or near the end of the agenda where you say what you would like on future agenda items. I'm not saying that you should just start talking about what you'd like about future agenda items as your minutes misrepresented me saying. And the reason is you don't get to talk about stuff just simply because you feel like it. It's presumably got to be related to an agenda item that you agendize yourselves or with the president and the city librarian according to the bylaws. So that should be on your agenda every time. I certainly think it would be good to have talks related to what happened today, such as what are your measures of success in various programs? Uh, how do you measure uh, all of the things that some of you have talked about on this last thing? Is there some formal measure of that or is there informal measures and what sort of measurement is happening? I'm glad that the commissioner asked what the budget was. I had no idea that it had been quite as high as a million dollars and now I understand from the chief operating officer that it's uh, 1.3 million, she says, for the future. Um, and I think that's basically what I have to say. I think you are dis providing a disservice, your own talents, your own intelligence, um, that you bring to the library commission the future agenda items that you'd like to have is a way for you to talk about what you would like to see and what you think is important and what you think ought to be brought before you or that you'd like to discuss. And I think certainly one of the things that I would like you to discuss is the toxic nature of Facebook and the toxic issues with regard to Twitter and how the library is or isn't appropriate in touting these things over and over again in a lot of publicity, including multiple times where it says in this monthly uh, at the library, get social, and then it touts Facebook, Twitter, and other Instagram, and one more. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public here in Corret Auditorium? Uh, we now turn to our participants on WebEx. Operations, are there any callers in the queue for Madam President, at this time, there are no callers in the queue. Pause briefly to allow other callers to join. No additional callers in the queue, Madam President. Thank you very much, operations. Uh, we now turn this uh, to the commission. Would someone like to make a motion to adjourn the meeting? I move. Uh, Commissioner Mall, a second? Second. Okay. Uh, um, we have a motion from Commissioner Mall and a second from Vice President Huang to adjourn the meeting. And I'll take the roll call. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf? Aye. Commissioner Ono? Aye. Commissioner Lomax Giarduzzi? Aye. Commissioner Lopez? Aye. The meeting, uh, the motion passes unanimously. The meeting's adjourned, and I wish everybody a happy, healthy, and safe and a uh, wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. And we look forward to seeing everybody back here in 2023. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>